Good morning. Thanks for being here in person. And those of you joining us online, thank you to Graham, the worship team, Ginger, this morning. Uh, I, I want to start out with another question this morning. Last week I asked how many of you have ridden a mechanical bull. This week I want to ask you about a different experience. How many of you are familiar with escape rooms? Okay, some of you. Okay, let me, whether you've been to one or not, let me give you my theory of the people who invented these, what they said originally, okay? I believe they sat down at a table. They said, look, let's find a couple rooms in a weird abandoned building, and let's, let's put people in them, occupy them, make them feel dumb, and charge them money for it. And then they can go home and feel even dumber. And so this is how escape rooms came about, at least in my brain. But uh, if you've been to one, you get this feeling. We were at one with some friends a few weeks ago, and it was just, it was awful. <laughs> Actually, I enjoyed it. But uh, the first 10 minutes, you just sit there because you walk into this room. And there are numbers on the wall, there are shapes on the wall, there are letters on the wall, there are maps, there are containers in the room, it's dimly lit, and, and th- all the locks have codes, you have to figure your way out of this room, okay? And so we, we got there, and it was just, the first 10 minutes were incredibly aggravating, at least for me, okay? Some of you are just, you dive right in, I was like... I'm looking for patterns, I'm looking for all kinds of things, and nothing is straightforward. And the reason I bring all this up is because last week, you know, we referenced Mark chapter 13. Those first 13 verses really are like a mechanical bowl. I mean, we talked about Jesus is referencing some things that can just completely shake your assurance in him. And completely shake your faith. You remember, we we went through some of these, right? There's the, the destruction of the things we admire. The deception of our, insur- uh, our assurances, the interruption of our stability, the intimidation of authorities, he said, would come along, and separation of relationships. And, and, and that, that was just the beginning of Mark chapter 13. You get into it and you think, oh my goodness. I mean, I, I, even when I opened Mark 13, I went, oh, what, Lord, you're going to have to show me something here. And, and he, he is faithful to do that. But when you first read it, here's what I found. Christians seem to either be drawn to it or driven away from it. And the reason for that is because it is a stark reminder of the trouble that you and I are going to face when, when we make the decision to follow Jesus and live in this world. I mean, it's just going to happen. Jesus said nobody's exempt. And so as he begins talking, as as you begin reading what he's saying in Mark chapter 13, he's referencing some stuff that was coming for the Jews at that time, the the destruction of the temple in in around 70 AD. But then he's also referencing far off in the future. And so you get this, what's called a double reference. And, and you'll see it today as he's talking about some things, you just go, okay, it is clear that trouble is coming. And to try to decipher what exactly he's saying to us, it, it can be very intimidating as you read Mark chapter 13. And, and if there's anything I could just share with you to walk away with today, there's one main idea, it's this. When you can't see God's hand, you must trust his heart. When you look around Whether it's life today or it's life going forward, when you can't see his hand, you must trust his heart. And as I have just sat with Mark chapter 13, if there's one thing he is impressed, 
is that for all the trouble he's referencing, you know what he continues to say over and over? It's a synonymous kind of message with in this world you will have trouble. But don't fear. I've overcome the world. See, there's this assurance that just runs underneath Mark chapter 13, and we miss it. Because Mark chapter 13 is one of those that oftentimes we go, oh, okay, I don't, I don't know what that word means, and I don't know what that word means, and I don't like the thought of that, so I'm just going to move to chapter 14, right? This is, this is how I often read the Bible growing up. But I want us to actually walk through a portion of Mark chapter 13. We'll wrap it up next week, but today we're in verses 14 through 31. And as I look at Mark chapter 13, verses 14 through 31, I just come back to that escape room experience because what I realize is that his language is very apocalyptic and some Christians just love that, right? It's just like end times all the time. Let's talk about it. And then others go, nope, I'm not worried about it. I don't want to think about it. But I want us to just, whatever, whatever distractions are there, commit to dig in today for a few minutes to Mark chapter 13 verses 14 through 31 because here's what you see you really see some guidance to knowing the heart of God as we go through these these verses okay it's right off the bat chapter or verse 14 one of the first things you see is that if you want to know the heart of God you play a role we all have some agency in it it means don't just sit back passively and wait for him to open the skies or speak audibly but there are some, some commands. In fact, three commands I see in the first few verses of Mark chapter 13. And if you got sermon notes, if you got here early, you actually got a copy of last week's notes. We, uh, that's my fault. You can blame that on me. We printed them as fast as we could. My parents were actually handing them out. I'm, I'm 42 years old, almost 43, and my parents are still taking care of me, all right? So thank you, mom and dad, all right? Um, anyhow, you, you see a few commands in these verses. And, and what, it's, what they're getting at is you've got to keep positioned to see his presence. We have got to keep ourselves in position to see his presence. And as Jesus talked to, to the people of that day, he issued a few commands that I think are still relevant today, if I'm honest. Let's read them. Verse 14. When you see, he's just began talking about the the signs that the destruction of the temple was coming. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. And we don't know if Jesus said that last part or if Mark added that in because this would have been read publicly. And so maybe this was a little parenthetical note for whoever was reading it to go understand what he's referencing here. This is a reference to Daniel chapter 9. And it's this apocalyptic language again about this, this phrase. The abomination that causes desolation. is a reference to at some point in the temple, something, something was going to show up. And it was going to be very clear that it didn't belong there. And what the act that this abomination carried out, whether that was a person, a, a thing, an event... It would create desolation. Now, the biblical definition of desolation had to do with destruction and devastation and emptiness. That something was going to happen, referencing the temple. And, and in fact, in, they may have even thought back to one, around 167 B.C., Antiochus IV, he showed up at the temple, sacrificed a pig, and poured its blood out on the altar of the temple. 
This would have been, an, the, the word abomination is perfect. And Jesus is saying something similar is coming along. And some scholars believe it was maybe the Roman army. They showed up at the temple and they showed up there and they set up camp at it and in it. And that that was the abomination, that it had no business being there that would cause people to flee. And so, yes, it was immediate for them, but many scholars believe that this also references the future. There will be some kind of abomination that actually causes desolation in the soul. That those who, who see it and watch it, they'd go, uh, it's just not, it's not of God. He has no part of that. He continues. When you see this abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea, Judea flee to the mountains. You got to remember back in chapter 11, you remember what Jesus said? He, he gives this, uh, this picture of a fig tree. And he's referencing the temple and he's saying, look, God's been using the temple. He's been working in the temple. He's been working through the temple. And then what did he say in, in chapter 11? But now it's like this fig tree that bears no fruit. And as Jesus is saying this, you're getting this reference that when you see it, you may think that God is in all things and this isn't a God isn't able to be in it thing. This is a God has no part of whatever this abomination is going to be. You run. Flee to the mountains. And when the Roman army showed up around 70 AD, that is exactly what some of the Jews did. They fled. They just ran for the mountains. He continues. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. In other words, if you think you need some of your possessions, he goes, no, just go. Depend on God to take care of you, but just go. And then he continues. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. In other words, if you're tempted to look back or go back, no, go forward. Go forward. There's, there's a message here that to delay when this abomination shows up is to lose your life. It, you, you stay at your own peril. Now, you read this and you think, well, Nathan, yeah, that was clearly for them. But as I read what Jesus says here, I, I begin to go, well, that's, this is some good advice for today. I mean, you, you just stop and think about it for a moment. You know, when it comes to his presence... You flee wherever it isn't. If there's something you're holding on to, you let go of it. If you're tempted to look back or go back at something in the past, he says, no, 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 go forward. Go to where he is. Now, as I, as I read that, I just go, you know, nobody here's staring at a temple waiting for some abomination to show up, right? Yeah, nobody, nobody, at least I don't think anybody is, but... We're all surrounded by and staring at things that cause desolation inside of us, aren't we? And if we come back to that biblical reference to desolation, destruction, and devastation, and emptiness, do we not live in a culture that can just bring a desolation of the soul? Here, let me put a slide up. This is, many of you know this is a memory verse, right? Maybe from Awanas or growing up. This is out of Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit. Look at this list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Now, I want you to think about that list because guess what? It's not just a memory verse. It's a great one to know. But these are the actual evidences of the Holy Spirit. It was true then. It's true now. It will always be true. Okay, those are the evidences of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to stop and think about what are the things that I see throughout the week that put me in a place opposite of these? Think about it. Your favorite news channel? Let me, let me ask you something. Does your favorite, I'm not going to call out any news channels, okay? But your favorite news channel, when you get done watching it, you're just filled with peace gentleness and love (laughs) all right social media think about your favorite social media platform when you've scrolled even five seconds you just just feeling so joyful see a lot of i came across an article that said america's teenage girls are not okay No offense, teenage girls, okay? But what it's getting at is that they've so stared at social media because we've put it in front of them and the generations before them have put it in front of them that there is just this comparison trap going on all the time. All the time. And and so when, when you grow up, I mean, that was hard enough growing up before social media, right? And then you get social media and it's not just teenage girls. The truth is it's guys and it's, it's every age now. You stare at it long enough, and this list just, just disintegrates. Okay, when you think about your friends and acquaintances that you spend the most time around through the week, is this list there? The habits we have? I mean, you could run through your life and just go, huh. Well, yeah, it's not just a memory verse. Like, Paul gave us this list for a reason. It's guidance. And so whatever we look at, we need to have this list in mind. Does, does engaging with that, does it, does it produce? Does it magnify? Does it amplify? Does it bring forth this fruit? And if not, then Jesus, Jesus commands to the Jews here, they're commands for us. Flee, let go, look forward. Those are the three commands. See, that's how you keep positioned to see his presence. That is, we play a part in that. But if we're sitting back and we're just taking what culture feeds us, well, yeah, we we shouldn't be surprised if inside we begin to get desolate. He continues into something else. And when you look at what he says, you realize there's there's um, there's another part of the participation for us. You don't only, you don't only keep, keep positioned to see his presence, but you keep confidence in his character. Look at the character of God that Jesus implies and gets at here. Uh, verse 17 through 19. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled. From the beginning, now think about that for a minute, unequaled distress. You think about all the things that happened throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus, you're saying that this distress that's coming is going to be unequaled? That is hard to fathom. Those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning. When God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. 
You see, part of what he's getting at here are some dangers that we're susceptible to. And if you're trying to keep confidence in the very character of God, you have to know there are a couple of dangers here. One of the first ones is distress. And of course, it would be very natural for me to say, so just avoid distress, okay? You, when you go out of here, I'm not just, when you go out of here uh, after service, just avoid distress this week. And that's not, that's not what he's getting at. See, there are two big questions that come up when we go through times of distress. It's why God and how long God? Why God and how long God? And when you live in those questions long enough, you know what you start to do? We start to make some assumptions about the character of God. Do we not? I mean, we've all done it. We begin to assume we know what he's thinking. We begin to see the answers, and if he, just won't, if he won't just do it that way, then we begin to think that maybe he took his eye off of us, that he no longer has his hand on us, that he put us on the shelf, that his love somehow just withdrew from us. See, that's what distress can do to us. And Jesus points at this incredibly loving character of God when he says what he says next. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those he has chosen to draw to himself, for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. He shortened them. In other words, God knows. He knows the distress you're going through. He doesn't love that, that somehow it would squash the spirit inside of us. But you know what, Jesus? Somehow he was able to make a statement like, in this world you will have trouble and yet maintain perfect confidence and fellowship with God. You want to know why? Because he was so confidently assured in the character of God that no matter what came, he went, I know, I know that you can use it. I know that you have something in this. I mean, when you think back across your life to the times of greatest growth and maturity, when was it? And if you just think to yourself, see, we want smooth, don't we? God, you can just grow me through the smooth life. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way in really any area I can think of. We come up against challenges. We come up against distress. And God can often and will often use crisis to grow us. But then he, he points at a second danger here. That, that when you're trying to stay confident in the character of God, there is a second danger to that, to that endeavor. <clears throat> Verse 21. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah. Or look, there he is. Don't believe it. I mean, this is yet another reference to false messiahs. <clears throat> for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. You know what that second danger is? Is deception. The danger of distress and the danger of deception. Do you want to know when you're most susceptible to deception, you and I? When we've gone through a time of distress. Isn't that interesting? The distress can wear us down, wear us down, wear us down. And somebody can come along, and if they begin to give us some kind of good news, hey, we'd be tempted to believe it, wouldn't we? Hey, here's a way to not go through tough times. 
here's a way to not go through it. Here's a smoother way. And oftentimes, those false teachers, you know what the message is? It's health, wealth, prosperity. You'll hear about this gospel over and over, the health and wealth gospel. And it's a lie. It's a lie. Because you know why? Again, I'm going to come back to it. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. But we can become deceived. We can become deceived, especially if we're tired of walking through it and going through it. And you can begin to think that maybe I can be my own savior better than he can be my savior. That's the trouble we get into. <clears throat> There's a, uh, I read this, this story, it's a statistician. He said, of all the marathons that have ever been run, he, he tracked actually when people have been caught cheating. I know, what a thing to track, right? Most people track marathon times, uh, the progression of records, stuff like that. When the most people have been caught in a marathon, when would you guess it is? Toward the end. Specifically after mile 20. Because after mile 20, I mean, who's thinking straight after? Does anybody run in here? Besides me with my gazelle legs and body and figure, all right? Okay, so some of you know, but you get to, I mean, I can't even, I can't even imagine driving 20 miles right now. But anyway, you get to mile 20 of running, I mean, you're just not thinking straight. And that's what happens to us when we get worn down. Because we begin to think funny. And in the same way, you go through distress long enough, you can be deceived into thinking that maybe his character's not what you thought it was. Well, there's a third, there's a third part of our participation as we walk through it. And it's this, you keep returning to his return. When you look at what Jesus says here, now he's going to talk into the future. And it's so interesting what he points them to. He says, look, no matter what you go through, think on the return. Think on my second coming. Here's what he says, verse 24. And and there's a few aims for us in here. Verse 24, but in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. You know what that means? It means that everything earthly is written in pencil. It means it's going to be done away with. It's not in ink. Everything earthly even the sun and the moon, which creates all, kind of question, all kinds of questions about gravity and temperature and stuff like that in my brain. But he says, that's going away. Everything earthly is written in pencil. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. In other words, the, the second aim we have outside of not trusting in anything earthly is living for his power and glory, not my own. You know who got this? John the Baptist got this, right? You remember he's walking along one day in the wilderness. He's got his followers, and then he sees the Messiah, and he says, look, there he is. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And immediately we read that two of his followers just left. They just left and followed him. This continues. You get to John chapter 3, and Jesus is baptizing Jesus is baptizing at the river, and John, those who are still following John, they come to him and they go, John, look, you're John the Baptist, and he's baptizing. 
I mean, it's in your name and yet he's doing it. And everyone, they say everyone's going to him. You know what John said? Yeah. Yeah, that's the idea. Because he must become greater. I must become less. See, John got this. Your greatest accomplishment on this earth is not your own and mine is not my own power and glory. It's his. It is always, always, always his. And we forget that. We got to come back to that. And then he references what I believe is a third aim for us. And this has to do with the body of Christ. Here's what he says. Verse 27, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds. I mean, I don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds like a pretty broad area, okay? Four winds. From the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. See, you, you remember that everything earthly is written in pencil. It's temporary. It's fleeting. You live for his power and glory, not your own. But you gather together. You do the very thing now that we're going to be doing then. And I can't fathom it, but can you imagine this, this room? Combined with probably a lot of other rooms gathered together in eternity. See, that's part of why we do this right now. It's not just to check a box to say, okay, God, are we good? Like I went to church Sunday. I've made it four Sundays in a row. No, it's because when we come together, you know what we're doing? We're bringing one another back to eyes down the line. You remember, this is lawn care tip. Remember how to get straight lines mowing? I am going to invoice you guys for this, okay? But remember, you, you, you got to keep your eyes down the line. Because as soon as you take your eyes and you look right here, this was years of lawn mowing experience, okay? You will be so swayed by the obstacles right next to you, the line that was before you, the wind, the bird in the air, the squirrel, the rabbit, whatever it is. But if you keep your eyes straight, excuse me, straight ahead, you continue in that straight path. That's what happens when we gather together as a body. That's how you continue to look to and live for the return of Christ. And that's hard for us to think about because we live a day at a time, a week at a time. We can't fathom in, in our minds. This is so far off in the future. And it could be, could be right now. And then I wouldn't have to finish this sermon, but it could be way down the line. And one of the things we do is we keep one another looking down the line to his return. I was reading about in in recent years, you're familiar with insurance. They've got clauses in insurance policies for acts of God. In Jerusalem, there's an actual clause that's written into insurance contracts for property owners, and it's called the Messiah Clause. And what it is, is is, um, property owners in Jerusalem who have maybe, they live abroad, but they still own that property. They have a Messiah clause in their rental contracts. That in the event that this Messiah returns, they want to be able to terminate the lease of whoever's living in those buildings so that they can come live in those buildings while he builds a third temple and and does what he does. Amazing. I mean, somehow, I'm blown away by all of it because I I smile a little bit, and and that's me. I'm, I'm biased, okay? But I... I sit there and I think, and yet that's an eye down the line. I mean, I'd probably sit down and 
have a conversation about it, but that's an eye down the line. They believe that somehow that return is imminent. And when asked, like, how will you know, they, they, a majority of them said, because it's in the Old Testament. And I just went, okay, well, um, you know, difference of, difference of opinion there, right? But the point is, they very practically are looking down the line for a return of a Messiah. How much more when we gather ought we to point one another to that? And so Jesus, he answers that question. He says, yeah, how will you know? He's answering this question that they asked at the beginning of Mark 13. How will we know when this destruction of the temple is coming? And he says this. This is verse 28. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. In other words, it will be so clear. His return will be so clear. And they would have especially gotten that picture that he gave them. But it will be so clear to us as well. He says, you know what else is clear? Is his heart. And how do we know his heart? Truly I tell you, verse 30. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And of course, it wasn't the generation living at that time because they've come and gone, but this generation of the elect. God's elect will not pass away until these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but how do you get clear on God's heart? What he says right here. But my words will never pass away. See, when you can't see his hand, you have got to trust his heart. And you do that by keeping positioned to see his presence. You keep positioned to see his presence. You keep confidence in his character. And you keep returning to his word. And you know how you do all that? You keep yourself in his word. We've got to, got to, I I know, I know you've heard this a lot recently. If we're not in this, none of it will be clear. The best thing you can do is open this up, if nothing else, to be reminded of his heart for you. So we're at this escape room, and I'll end with this. We're at this escape room. We get into the room, and it's two teams, okay? It's guys and it's ladies, all right? And so it's this race going on. And when one team got, like, a container unlocked or found a key or whatever it was, it would actually shut off the light in the other team's room. So as guys, we're thinking, we got this. Except me, I was just mad at all this stuff on the walls. But anyway, suddenly one of our light bulbs goes off. And we knew we hadn't gotten anything yet, so we knew we were behind. And then another light bulb went off. And, and so as, it was so interesting to watch a group of guys because as we began like talking about, hey, what is our solution? Maybe it's this, maybe it's this. A voice comes over the loudspeaker. It's the lady who's running this whole thing. And she had said, I'm going to speak into it. If I see that you're behind or if I see that you need some help, I'm going to speak. So she gets on the loudspeaker and I can hear her voice. And she's talking and she's giving all this help. And guess what the guys are doing? Well, maybe it's this. And she's talking, but we're all talking. And we lost terribly. We, we lost terribly. That's the second main idea this morning. If, if, you, if you do not keep yourself in the word, fellas, the ladies win. Okay, no, that's, that's not it. But 
I went, there it is. There's a heart to help and we can miss it. There's a heart to help. And we can completely miss it when we're caught up in our own plans, in our own words, in our own ways of seeing, right? Truth be told, we missed the help that was right in front of us. Because when you can't see his hand, it's easy to forget about his heart. But you stay in this, and you will, you will find it a much easier road to trusting his heart even when you can't see his hand. With that in mind, worship team, I'll invite them back up. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, Mark 13 is not the first passage I would pick to preach, and yet I'm grateful for it. I mean, just sitting with it, I'm reminded that whether it was in that first century, whether it was throughout all the Old Testament events and times, or whether it's today, your heart for us remains the same. We walk in a world that will give us trouble. And over and over and over, your reminder to us is not that we have to figure it all out, not that we have to figure out when everything or how everything's going to happen, but instead, we can trust your heart. That we can have a relationship with you right there in the midst of it. And so, Lord, keep us in your word. Position us to see your presence. Keep us confident in your character and keep us returning to your return. Let us point one another to that today and every day. We thank you for this word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.